Okay, we're going to have a song to help us set our minds for this uh, very interesting mini-movie tonight. So this, uh, this song was received from the angels. It came from the angels, and it's about causation, that, that any time you are feeling upset, it's not because of anything that's happening in the world. It's just because of the thoughts in your mind. And you can change those thoughts in your mind. But you can't really change the world. It's like a, a movie that's playing in a script and even though people like to believe in manifesting and all kinds of different things, um, the change has to come within. So we thought this song uh, from the Angels, it's sung by Helena, this version, Helena Hunison, and uh, it's kind of got a happy jingle to it. It's a happy way to start to remember that that the world's not outside of your mind, but you're watching your thoughts playing out in front of you. And if you don't like what you perceive, then you have to change your thoughts and perceptions. So Andy's got it queued up here.
Perfect timing. You're right. You're right on time for it. We just played a little song called That's Not the Reason Why, just talking about the world is not the cause of our state of mind. Our choosing our thoughts is where the state of mind comes. That's how we have the, we are empowered to have peace of mind consistently by realizing that we choose our thoughts and we can choose to align with very peaceful, loving thoughts that come from our source, our creator, and be very peaceful. And if we don't, then we will perceive things that seem to be external causes, but the external causes aren't really real. And it's funny, when I was, had my eyes closed and I was just listening to that song, I think of the Matrix movie, uh, <clears throat> the first Matrix movie most people are familiar with. And I, I love to quote Morpheus uh, and occasionally Trinity, but I really don't quote Agent Smith enough. But I thought tonight I would start off with an Agent Smith quote that people accept the world that they are presented with. <laughs> that's a line from Agent Smith. And that's actually pretty important. Agent Smith has a good line there. He's the seeming bad guy in the, the movie, but people do readily accept the world they are presented with, and they don't really question how it got there. I mean, most people complain about the world and say, oh, it's a terrible world, and it's getting worse, and it's getting more chaotic, and oh, the politics are bad, and, and there's all these disagreements, not to mention plagues and, and disasters and pestilence and all kinds of things, on and on and on in the world. But, but I would say uh, you have to go... We'll start with Agent Smith saying people accept the world that's presented to them. And then if you start to just ponder for a bit, hmm, where did this world come from? I would say that the, the world is a projection of, of ego. But for many people it's like, ego, what is ego? So let's try to make it even simpler than that. The world that you perceive comes from the denial of love. The world that is perceived comes from the denial of love and God. And so, the way back to that love, or back to God, you have to deny the denial. I'm talking about denial in a good way. If you've, if you've denied eternal love and made up a, a substitute reality to take the place, and at some point you go, this isn't really working very well. Maybe I could deny the denial, which we would call forgiveness. Or as the song said, forgiveness is the way to see the false as false. If you could calmly look upon the world and see that it's false, without jumping on and trying to make some parts true, or defending some parts, or attacking some parts, or trying to fix some parts, but if you could just see the false as false, the mind is extremely peaceful by just observing the world and seeing the false as false. That's really what salvation is. It's nothing complicated. It's just not being fooled by images. So tonight, Jason has made a MIDI movie, 
with some course quotes and that cheery song we just heard to carry us through. <laughs> and this, I believe this, uh, the scene, the, the scenarios we're going to be watching tonight, again, it's a futuristic. It's a, we're pulling off of a, a Philip K. Dick episode again, and this is a futuristic scene. So imagine going a little bit more than a few decades into the future, so you have some more technological advancements than we've already had. Just a few more gadgets and a few more technological advancements. And, and the robots have, have uh, come in much stronger. So uh, our main character works at a factory, but instead of having, you know, many people coming to the factory, there's just three, there's just three factory lines and maybe a, a supervisor. And then the rest of it is automated. So this is a, a world in the future, a few decades into the future, where there's much more machines and the humans basically, as, as we've seen through history, haven't evolved too much. <laughs> they still are going through their struggles. And then our main character is going to, uh, there's still politics going on. But in this future time, um, we have, in North America, we have one country. Mexico, United States, and Canada are all together. One country. This is, imagine like 30-some years in the future. And yet there's a candidate running for the president of Mex Mexican. <laughs> And yet, there's, in the end, there was like 52 candidates. They boiled it down somehow to one through a process of deliberation and so forth. And she's just running to get the kind of the stamp of approval. But basically, it's, we've evolved to a democracy that only has one candidate at the end. And you only vote for one candidate. So it's a different political system. But even though there are these advances, we'll call them advances, that's not a very good word, uh, but there, it's still the world and he's still dealing with his fears and, and his alienation and his, his deep desire for meaning, just like human beings right now are really praying for meaning, they're praying for purpose, they want to pray, what is the point of all this? What is the point of my life? What is the point of this world? So how was it for you? You started, we pulled some course quotes to try to, to tip this thing in a, in a helpful favorite. direction. <laughs> I, I really love this because every once in a while you come along a movie with, uh, like if you've seen an invasion where you have to reverse all the symbols, you have to be willing to suspend everything you think you know about symbols in a movie and only look at this from the awakening perspective as if it's one mind awakening. And this guy is kind of our character. But if you try to compare him to other characters or the society and who's advanced and who's not, you will totally miss the point of this one. It took, I think, all ten of us were watched it for an hour and had an hour discussion and then got very clear and we made this mini-movie. <laughs> so you're going to get a chance right from the beginning with course quotes throughout at, that I've spaced in a way that if we need more time, we can pause it. So just say, wait, if you're okay with that, we can put up our hand and... 
Yeah, it's like you have to, you really have to allow your mind to tip into the higher realm, which is really what the spiritual journey is about. You have to allow it to just tip open, and, and you, you may hear the ego going, oh, this is a bit of a stretch, but you have to allow yourself to tip to the higher perspective that, that can forgive the world. And I, I have been in the past accused of occasionally showing movies and turning them from horror movies into comedies uh, with my, with my uh, words. And, and this movie I, I was quite delighted with uh, because I felt that, that it was very capable of helping everyone tip to a higher perspective. Uh, you know, some may say this is more like a Hitchcock movie, but but actually, even with Hitchcock, if you had the right perspective, you could see the world anew. You could see a different perspective, and that's what the mind training is about. That's why we practice spirituality. That's why we practice forgiveness. We want to see the love in everyone. We want to see the light in everyone. We want to be able to look to the light, and we want to overlook errors. We want to overlook images. In order to overlook the images, we have to overlook the image maker. God is not an image maker. The ego is the image maker. So we have to overlook the image maker in our mind in order to see the happiness and the joy. As long as we believe in the ego, in death, in judgment, in comparison, we will perceive a very uh, distorted world. And that will seem to be our reality until we go one step beyond and, and go, beyond this world is a world I want. There is another way of looking at this world, and I would like to be shown that by the Spirit. And it's the greatest gift you could ever experience, because once you tip over into this higher perspective, it's sweet. You're going to be singing, you're going to be laughing, you're going to be joyful, you're not going to be at the mercy of the news at the mercy of current events, they call them, really, that aren't current at all. They're just rehashed versions of the past. In fact, I lived with the, my friend years ago, Kathy Martin, and whenever someone would say, but don't you watch the news? And she would say, oh, you mean the olds? She would call the news the olds. It was just the old rehashed stuff. The faces change, the places change. She wouldn't call them the news, she'd call them the olds. No, we don't really watch the olds. I remember when she lived with me at the Peace House in Cincinnati, um, we would just pray and ask the Holy Spirit, you know, what would be helpful for our mind training. And we only watched one TV show the entire week. And it wasn't the news, you can tell with Kathy, we didn't watch the olds, we watched Allie McBeal. Only one show a week, and that's all the Holy Spirit would give us. And there were so many body commercials on that, you know, body, 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 that the Holy Spirit would say, now watch the show, but here's the remote, turn the volume down when the commercials come on. Just watch the show. And the whole show is about no private thoughts, open expression, no people pleasing, and some of you remember the toilet, the unisex toilet which all the private thoughts got exposed in. And that's the only show we were given by the Holy Spirit. But even that show, it got used because we watched that show 
yeah, for quite a while. We would watch, we would watch, and then finally we would watch and we would say, well, it would be nice if, um, if Allie had like a boyfriend. And uh, so we sat there and we looked at each other and we said, who, who would we want the boyfriend to be? Which actor do we want the boyfriend to be? Because Allie didn't have a boyfriend on the show at this point. It's a long-running show. And so we both looked at each other, and we both smiled, and we went, that's it. We want Robert Downey Jr. to be her boyfriend. So I said, well, let me check. I went on the Internet, and he was in prison at the time. So we just said, okay, let's just pray here to Jesus. Let's get, G get Robert Downey Jr. He was on for drug drug-related charges. He was in prison. Let's get him out of prison with our minds. We only get to watch one show a week. Uh, we're going to have some fun with it. Let's get him out of prison. Let's get him signed on. And then the weeks went by, and Robert Downey Jr. was released from prison. He signed on with Ally McBeal to play the boyfriend. And Kathy and I were like, very good. We, we thought he would make a good boyfriend. And he was. It was, oh, we really enjoyed it. It was just, people could call it manifesting, but we're just having some fun. Because we only had one show to watch, we thought, we aren't asking for much. It's not asking for much. And we were given that. But in this scenario we're going to watch tonight, this little movie, this main character, he has unconscious guilt. He's got his unconscious fear and and fear, if you start to give way to it, if you start to go with that fear, it can actually turn into paranoia, where you can start to become afraid of the world. You can think people are watching you. You can think people are, they are, they're messing with you. And that's what happens. We know that. Anybody who's been through any of the... Uh, healing feels like psychology, psychiatry, when people get into a paranoia state, they do feel that people are, are lying behind their back or doing things to them, and our main character is going to go through a bit of that. But what I want you to do is really just practice watching this movie, and if you notice any kind of emotions coming up, and you start to feel caught up in the story or the scenario, just remember our happy song, that's not the reason why. And, and just give yourself over to these beautiful Course in Miracles quotes. We even renamed the movie. This movie is now called Seek Not, Seek not, not to Change the World. Seek Not to Change the World. We've renamed the movie to help us. And then we're going to flow with that idea throughout the whole movie. It starts out where... It's like a meaningless world engenders fear, and I'm upset because I see a meaningless world. And you'll see him on the train. And it's from that place that almost, in a way, an awakening starts, and all of his darkness just starts coming up throughout the movie. And if you see it from that perspective, it actually, it actually makes sense. And it's a parody on this, on this world with the other one candidate, because they even interview her. And some people might say, you have no choice. Why, why do you even call this an election? And she said, it's about the process. People need to feel like when they sign the ballot that they were a part of this. <laughs> it's like a total parody on choice, really. Like as long as you have the illusion of choice, somehow you're, you're better off. So we may have to pause this a few times, but...
Here we go. So you can see that, I mean, even though this is supposed to be years in the future, it's the same thing. A political candidate seems to say something, it's perceived, and then he's in disbelief that he heard what he heard, but he's looking for agreement. He's looking for witnesses. It's, 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 he's looking for opinions about that. And this is the human condition, is when you have doubt thoughts or attack thoughts or fear coming up and you perceive something on the screen, somebody said something, somebody did something, it's, it's like the ego is trying to draw evidence from other things in the world or other people in the world to, to solidify, to anchor in that perception. But we're coming from that perspective that that all everything that is perceived in the world is a projection of of thoughts. So that's where this whole idea of, of what the majority thinks or what people think or what other people think. In this case he heard kill all others, but those others are part of a defense mechanism to keep the mind trapped into time and space. It's, we could call it gossip, you know, as soon as you hear something. Uh, I remember when I was working with uh, one of the, my students, um, they were trying to come up with a very simple thing to just tell their mind when they had these thoughts going through, judgments going through, and the thing that they came up with is about the thoughts. Is it passing or is it everlasting? If it's passing, that should give you a clue of where it's coming from. Because the ego is passing. If it's everlasting, the loving thoughts are true. Only the loving thoughts are true. And there's a training going on at not buying the bait of the passing thoughts and not looking to the world to try and reinforce those judgments and those passing thoughts. So in this case, you know, he's, he first sees what he sees, hears what he hears, and right away, hun, hun, get in here, you got to hear this. This is on international TV and, and this is crazy. And he's trying to draw a witness there. She's like, what? And he said, this is what they said. And then he goes into work and he's got his two buddies there the workforce of the factory and he's he immediately tries to share them what happened and everything but this is the dynamic you'll notice it in relationships you'll notice in living in community you'll notice it in the, in your environment in the neighborhood if you are trying to reinforce the judgments or you're trying to release them and come back to that purity that's in the mind, the purity that that God created. So that's, uh, this is a pretty good dynamic. Jason's thrown in some nice little helpful, uh, have you seen his uh, thoughts? His uh, Course in Miracles quotes thrown in there too? They're in the same color as the subtitles. There's an interesting quote from the Course. 
Because all those little upsets, those little irritations, those little annoyances that go on, those are not happy, those are not peaceful. You're annoyed at a certain sights, certain sounds, certain things you see on TV, certain things that seem to be happening around you. Those little annoyances. In A Course in Miracles, Jesus tells us that irritation is, is just a cover drawn over intense fury. There are no small upsets. Irritation and annoyance cover over rage. And it sometimes seems to take a while before the circumstances are, are right in terms of form where the mind allows the rage to come up. But that fury and that rage is underneath there. And it's interesting, who usurps the place of God now has a deadly enemy, in quotes, and he must stand alone in his protection and make himself a shield to keep him safe from fury that can never be abated. So again, if this projected world is just a, a denial of love, a denial of truth, a denial of peace, a denial of God, then all those irritations and annoyances, all those upsets, small or large, are coming from judgments and interpretations that the mind is making. We go back to that song we listened to at the beginning. There was a line that Helena sang from the angels. Your holy mind's asleep and dreaming bitter dreams. That was from the song. Your holy mind's asleep and dreaming bitter dreams. There's also some teachings in the Course that says the dreams you think you like can hold you back as much as those in which the fear is apparent. So you see it's this ordering, this ego judging of the good appearances, the bad appearances, the good situations, the bad situations, the loving situations, the fearful situations. It's all part of a giant trick to keep the mind asleep by judging the form and trying to protect this sleeping mind by these judgments. It's using judgments as protection. It's using judgments as a defense, in this case, to make himself a shield and keep him safe from the fury that can never be abated. So we talk a lot about letting private thoughts up, holding, holding nothing secret. That's another line from the song we heard at the beginning that Helena was singing. Hold nothing from the light, for secrecy is death. Secrecy, the thing that humans believe is possible to keep private thoughts hidden, that very thing is death, to try to keep anything hidden. That's why such an emphasis on full exposure, on let your feelings up, let those thoughts up. Do not hold them down, do not repress them, do not suppress them, because that's what death is, is keeping judgmental thoughts pushed down and unconscious. And healing would be the flip side. 
So in this case, he's come to this, it looks like a therapist, twice after he's had some incidents where she's just saying they're out of pattern incidents. But for him, it's just a symbol of having to take a closer look at what is going on in my mind. And you notice how quickly it can shift. He seemed very quiet when he was riding in the, the little tram thing. He was very quiet and then all of a sudden everybody got off and then he started to get a little more nervous and then all of a sudden he started to look outside and see these words in big red letters and then he started to freak a little bit more and then he pulled the the brake because he wanted to use his phone as a camera to take some photos for evidence of what he was seeing and then the crash happened. And then in the case with his wife, she basically said, let's turn everything off, let's turn it off, no more stimulation here, it's just us, it's just us. They were having a pretty light, happy conversation there, riding along, including I love you was being shared. And then all of a sudden, with these people that ran across in front, again, it was interpreting something was wrong, something was dangerous, something was off. And, and something was so off that something needed to be done to help or to save or to correct. Again, it's coming back to it's the thoughts and the mind that need to be released. But the temptation is to believe in an external world where the world, the situations of the world, as long as you believe they're out there, they will draw you in. This is what um, you might say it could be called temptation. And in The Course in Miracles, Jesus defines temptation. He says, what is temptation but the wish to make illusions real? Being drawn into some type of interpretation in which something is perceived as going wrong. And then getting all emotional about it, then getting emotionally engaged in that interpretation. Is another thing that Jesus tells us in the Course is nobody is ever directly upset by things or events. It's only an interpretation that gives rise to upset. So, if you imagine you're just perceiving a world of images and you never react directly to the images, you react to the interpretation of the images. Why is that important? Well, because there is an alternative interpretation available for everything the mind perceives. And that alternative is called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, has only one interpretation for everything of this world. God's Son is innocent. That's the only interpretation of the Holy Spirit. So if you only react to interpretations, it should be apparent that you would want to increasingly become aware of that interpretation. Your higher self, the Holy Spirit, the loving perspective, the loving way of looking upon the world. Because 
you can only react to that interpretation with love. The only thing that God's Son is innocent, fosters is, is love, is peace, is harmony, is understanding. And it also shows us that we really need to practice with every emotion and every thought that's coming up to really get clear about this causation thing. Is something happening to me? Or is everything in the world happening for me? For my choice to forgive? For my innocent perception? Everything. It's quite amazing to think that every single situation you've ever perceived in your entire life was not happening to you, but was actually happening for you. For the blessing. For the opportunity to see the light. To see the harmony, to see that nothing has ever really gone wrong from this higher perspective. Certainly from the, the ego's limited perspective, it's always judging, comparing, contrasting, you harmed me, you did me wrong, you took advantage of me, you know, all the different things. Those are all the egoic perceptions and then there's this really high perception that goes beyond all of those. That's the whole purpose for this world, is just to experience that high perception. It's the only purpose that we have. So he's just come now to the second time to this uh, therapist. It's, it feels like almost like a mandatory therapy session for outliers, for those, those that, that have reactions. It, uh, it does also look like a lot of them are not too interested. His one buddy with the real short hair there at work was the one who was saying, you, you can't take this political stuff seriously. So you may see that was the spirit talking too, coming through to the mind saying, you need to relax, buddy. <laughs> you need to take it easy, you need to relax. That was like a symbol of the spirit of his buddy at work trying to give him that. And also I think the, his wife you know, as soon as he started to go, there, that's what I'm talking about, seeing something on TV that reinforced the kill all others, she said, no, we need to turn this off. And she basically turned the TV off, she turned everything off, and then eventually she turned the lights off. And he woke up the next day, he looked pretty happy when he was riding in the car with her. So you can see some of these characters seem to be sent or reflections of the Spirit giving him the same kind of content that Jason has put in there from Jesus. It's the characters coming through there. This is, this is quite interesting though. Why do people create little avatars online? Why do people generate false identities to interact with other people on the internet? Why do people call in on the phone and give a fake identity? What is the fear? What is the fear underneath that of not wanting to be exposed or known? You know, people talk about how on Facebook people will type all kinds of comments when when, they're, when you're not face to face, they will type things out to people that they would never say to them face to face. But there's, in this case, it's, 
it's showing his name and his location as he's got his sunglasses on. He's just gone to great uh, efforts to hide his identity. There it is. But you know, it starts. You really have to bring it back to that thing of what is it about wanting to have an avatar, wanting to have a fake identity that you can use to hide behind or interact behind. Or things like uh, caller ID and or using um, phone screening, like screening calls to see who it is and what they want before you answer the phone. What's behind the, all the screening, all the protections and everything? So this is the way it works. You know, the, the, the policy at work is you can't talk about politics. Uh, your buddies at work saying we can't talk to you and everything. You know, you have to start to remember that everything that you perceive is coming from your thoughts. Nobody's turning. There aren't anybody, there's not a world out to get you or people turning you, people giving you the cold shoulder. Think of all those country songs about the cold shoulder and, and giving up on me and abandoning me and leaving me and rejecting me and on and on and on. All those songs, everything that's perceived is, is a reflection of the mind. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, small self, ego-fulfilling prophecy. But there's no change in what the divine law is, that you will look upon that which you feel within. If you have hatred, fear, lack, concern, doubt in your mind, you will perceive those emotions acted out in the world. And if you identify with a character on the screen, you will identify with all the characters' emotions, thinking that they're your own emotions. But actually these are all just generated from the ego. So this is why Jesus will say in the Course, beware of the temptation to perceive yourself unfairly treated. You notice how he takes that unfairly treated, which is part of all victimization, and he puts the word temptation right next to that. He's basically saying, beware of the temptation to perceive yourself as a victim. Because if you perceive yourself as a victim, it means you believe you are, or you believe it's possible to be a victim, then you believe that the world and the characters of the world are capable of acting that out. It's like a dream where you believe in victimization and then the dream acts out the belief. And the only way to escape from it is to see it as just a belief, to see that these are just thoughts. And that's really what the spiritual journey is. It's calling you to give up that belief. The belief that you have ever been victimized. The belief that anybody in this entire world has ever been victimized. We have things in this world called social justice and basically in A Course in Miracles, Jesus has a subsection of one of his chapters called The Justice of Heaven. He basically is telling us that the, that's where our fairness is, that's where our justice is, is in heaven. Is in the heaven that God created. All is fair. 
all is fair in love. You can forget the war part because there's no fairness in war. All is fair in love. All is fair in heaven. All is fair in, in divine creation. And there is no fairness in this world. This is a distorted perception projected from the ego. And so when we look to try to get the pieces of the puzzle the right way, we look to find fairness. We come up with strange concepts like social justice. Those, those things are both constructs. There, there is no social in reality and there is no justice in form. And the more you start to take this in, you start to come to that state in yourself, deep within, where you can find that true freedom. It's the believing in the victimization that has been the ego. That's where we've, we've lost, we seem to lose the peace in the victimization idea. And then you have these amazing sayings, all things work together for good, it says in the Bible, for those who love the Lord. <laughs> for those who are connected to the Lord of life, all things work together for good. In the Course in Miracles, Jesus says, all things work together for good. There are no exceptions except in the ego's judgment. And the ego is not who we are. It's the imposter that's trying to bait us into feeling upset to bait us into feeling unfairly treated. So he's just gone through a little bit of that. Ed, Ed, are you there? Ed, Ed, are you there? We're not allowed to talk to you. And then um, he's coming coming home and uh, he sees his wife, you know, talking to the authorities and, and um, the suspicion now, even with his wife, is there. You know, you see how it's like a disease that starts to spread. Once there's victimization, the ego will try to rope in anybody or anything to play the parts. Could be family members, could be a partner, could be a longtime partner, could be authority figures like police officers, government officials, someone in the neighborhood. Oh, I saw them. Yeah, they were suspicious looking. Suspicious looking? That's a projection. <laughs> It's a judgment to call somebody suspicious looking. Oh yeah, they didn't make eye contact. Okay, you made it up that way. They didn't make eye contact. There's no need to throw in the suspicious looking on top of it. It's just a projection of fear out to the dream figures, out to the characters. And basically, Jesus is telling us, you know, you need to stop this. You, more than that, you just need to see you're not, you're not capable the way God created you, you're not capable of doing this. You're trying to do something that you weren't created to do, and you're feeling all these unreal emotions called fear and guilt and shame and pain, suspicion. We can't go on together with suspicious minds. <laughs> it, that's it, Elvis. Elvis was channeling the Holy Spirit. We can't go on together with suspicious minds. It's a very profound line. I'm quoting Elvis and Agent Smith tonight, but anything for the cause. So let's just see what happens. I mean, he's basically kind of going down a road where he's giving way to the interpretations and the paranoia. Because we just, again, we, we, he, he looks like he's kind of come back to where, around where he lives, his neighborhood, and then, remember the, 
you saw the flashing lights and the, the peace patrol going by, please, citizens, remain calm. That was the Holy Spirit <laughs> coming in. Just when they've got that music, you know, the kind of thing, must be tense music. That was the Holy Spirit coming through there, flashing lights, sparkly. Citizens, remain calm, remain calm. And now, this is the quote that, from the Course that you wanted to see. There it is. It can be but you, you crucify. You did not hurt the world and need not fear its vengeance and pursuit. In other words, when we talk about the crucifixion, cruci crucifixion of God's Son, everybody thinks back to 2,000 years ago and Jesus and being crucified on the cross. But remember, this world is just a symbolic world. This world is just a projection and what the world has perceived as a crucifixion of a body is really, bodies can't really be crucified. It's when, when the mind is judging, when the mind is in fear, that's the crucifixion of God's Son. It has nothing to do with this world. It has nothing to do with bodies being born, or bodies seeming to live, or bodies seeming to die, or even bodies seeming to be murdered. You know, people would say, well, there's a lot of ways a body can die. One, they say, is natural causes. That's kind of interesting. What are natural causes? You try to tell that to the doctor, you know, oh, he died of natural causes. And the doctor says, I'm not going to take that. I have to know what happened in that body. Was it heart failure? <laughs> Did they suffocate? Did they overdose? You know, you see how doctors, you know, they want to know what happened to kill that body? As if there's some kind of cause that happened to the body to bring about the death. Or crucifixion, you know, well, they took Jesus and they kept beating him and whipping him and then eventually they stuck these big nails, huge nails into his arms and legs and he bled and he bled and he bled and some a doctor today might say, well, he bled to death because people stuck spikes into his arms and legs. But the crucifixion of God's Son is, is no different than saying the sleeping Son of God or um, the sleeping Holy Son of God. Your holy minds had sleep. Um, that's what Helena was singing to us. And dreaming bitter dreams. So what we're seeing from this movie and what all spirituality is about is just starting to realize that every second of every day you're either choosing the miracle to be in joy and happiness and peace aligned with your source or you're choosing the crucifixion of God's Son. When you choose fear, pain, doubt, envy, when you're minorly irritated, when you're annoyed, you're choosing the crucifixion of God's Son. Jesus is taking it off this timeline called history and he's basically teaching us that's why you have to watch your mind so closely. That's why you have to purify, blessed are the pure of heart for you shall see God, for they shall see God. That's why you have to do mind training and discipline. Really that's the most important thing you could ever do. All this other stuff in the world about saving people, saving souls, saving the children, saving the environment, saving Mother Earth, saving your country, you know, that's a bunch of fluff. That really doesn't have anything to do with anything. It's 
how am I feeling moment by moment? What thoughts am I thinking moment by moment? Am I choosing to think with God or am I choosing to try to think against God and upset myself by these egoic thoughts that I'm still holding on to? And he tells us in the Course, he said, you made the ego by believing in it and you can dispel it by withdrawing your belief from it. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're really getting to the core of spirituality. Withdraw your belief from it. Expose it. Raise it up to the light and see that it's, you can't possibly continue to believe in something when you see what a lie, what a sham, what a what, a, what an unreal puff of nothing <laughs> that, that the ego is. And that's what this is really all about. It's just pointing. When he says, if it can but be you, you crucify. You did not hurt the world and need not fear its vengeance and pursuit. You didn't do anything to the world because ultimately the world is not outside of your mind. The world is a reflection of thoughts. There are scientists now, I, I just was watching Michael Caruana sent me uh, this little clip with Elon Musk and all these different scientists. One of them was from Sweden and there was these different scientists and they were all talking about how this whole world is just programming. They're sure that it's a simulation. And they're comparing it to a computer program. They're comparing this world in their minds definitively to a computer program. And then one of them was saying, well that's good news because just like with a computer program, you can, you can delete it. Computers can be reprogrammed. So if this is all computer program, which is a lot of scientists are saying now, it can be deleted and your mind could be, as computers can be reprogrammed. That is very different thinking than the mainstream, but it's starting to reflect the thinking of spirituality, of the mystics and saints. That you can indeed change your mind about everything and change your entire experience by changing your mind. And when it says, it can be but you, you crucify, it's, it can be but you that you judge. Not that these judgments have any real lasting harm, it just it just blocks your awareness of the light. It just blocks your awareness of the love. It doesn't really change anything. It just blocks you from being aware of it. The light is, is still, it is there. It's still real. It's still true. The love is still there. But it's just being blocked. She said, it's, it's, she must have said, it's okay, okay, it's okay, it's okay. There's the, again the, the spirit coming in relax, it's okay, it's okay. But he said, no, is, he said, is it? is it, could it be the accident? And he said, no, 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 he's saying the science came first. That's that thing about still believing the images. If you look to the history, if you look to the past, and you try to look for an external cause, if you try to look for the cause on the timeline, that's the ego. That's going, that's the ego trying to keep the mind in fear. Oh, I did this, I became afraid because of this, because somebody did this, somebody took this away from me. 
It can be the government. It can be a person. It can be anything in the environment. It can be anything in the world of images. It could be the belief that a meteor is going to come by and, and hit Earth and completely send us back to the Ice Ages with a, a giant collision. It could be anything that seems to be external. That's still putting the causation out, away from the mind and into the world, into the form. And that's where the fear, you know, she was saying, it's okay, it's okay, calming down, calming down. Then this quote from the Course, the ego holds the past against you, and in your escape from the past, it sees itself deprived of the vengeance it believes you so justly merit. The ego does not understand innocence, divine innocence. It doesn't truly understand love, or joy, or happiness. All it knows is guilt, pain, shame, fear. It's a one-track mind. In fact, there's one part of the Course where Jesus says, the ego is more unified in its uh, purpose than you are. So he's talking to the fragmented mind that has forgotten that it's the Holy Son of God, that it believes it's lost in time and space, it believes it's a human being. And he's saying the ego is more one track than you are. In other words, the mind is so fragmented and so untrained that it doesn't really know what its purpose is. It's just, it's lost in space, it's floundering around trying to look for a purpose, trying to find something that's beyond boredom, beyond depression, beyond sadness. And it's, it's, it's not really set and focused on its purpose, but the ego does have one purpose. It's, it's a death wish. It, it is totally focused on death. It, it doesn't believe in innocence. It believes in vengeance. It believes in punishment. It is always going to come in there with the darkness and the negativity. It's, it's single-minded in that sense. That it's, at one point Jesus says, the ego will pursue you beyond the grave. That sounds like a Freddy Krueger movie. Pursue you beyond the grave. It's not stopping. Oh, you know that stuff that they used to put on uh, on tombstones, R.I.P., rest in peace? The ego's like, oh no, you're not going to rest. It's because you're dead. I'll come after you. I'll pursue you beyond the grave. It's that vicious, it's that much into pain and shame and guilt. That's why we have to expose it and release it. That's why this must be forgiven. There's no escaping the ego without exposing it and, and seeing its impossibility, without seeing the falsity of it. But if it's subconscious, then it has to be raised into awareness, and that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's helping us raise this dark, unconscious belief up into the light so we can hand it over and be free of it. So, it's very single-minded in this, and, and it's always trying to drive, drive the mind into the belief in death and also the belief in punishment. That's where the, the idea of a fiery burning hell, the hellfire concept comes in, into re some religions, because the ego is like, oh no, you're not only going to die, you're not only going to get sick and die, but you're going to get punished after you die. That's dark. 
And a lot of us have faced a little bit of that religion, the old hellfire religion uh, growing up. Some of us were, you know, it's like, you better be good or you'll burn in hell. Hmm, good motivation for living life. Walking through and with this thing, cloud hanging over your head. You better watch it. Even it's in our Santa Claus songs. Better watch out, you better not Better not I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. Oh boy, it's a big red punishing figure. If you pout or shout or cry, so be good. He knows if you've been sleeping, he knows if you're awake, he knows if you've been good or bad. Be good for goodness sake. Oh. We all know it. Oh. No, where is the where is God's son is innocent in that song? It's infiltrated even our Santa Claus songs. Our it's it's <laughs> Francis. <laughs> tell us this, tell us some of those songs from Beijing. <laughs> <laughs> no, she was not exposed to that or the Beatles. But yeah, it's it's that's why we have to really be so vigilant because a lot of our old programming and conditioning has been involved with this fear and doubt. Yeah, I like that cuz underneath he he believes that he's done something really wrong, but he hasn't you haven't seen this on the screen. He's still projecting it onto others, people chasing him and then I, I might want to rewind it here 10 seconds, but you saw the scene where she calmed him down and he he, he b bought into it for a second. Really, could it be that easy? And then the course quote came on. This course is perfectly clear if you choose to accept it. Then, like David said, he basically said, no, 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 there is past causation. So he's he still hasn't gone deep enough and faced this wrongness. So that's why this quote is up. Yeah, so I like this because... Remember, he, he had an opportunity to forgive there, and he didn't. And so, in order to justify his failure to forgive, he has to, what's the opposite of forgive? Project. Judge. Judge. And so he went immediately, it's you, even stronger here. So The suspicion, the fear, once the fear comes in, that the fear is so intense that that you either have to let it come and, and let it, Go. In other words, you have to let it move through and and heal and release. Or the other alternative is to project, and to project is is a way of reinforcing it to keep you true. So, and he or he's like seeing her as another. This whole idea of being an other, the other is like the outcast. The other is is like the the guilty one. The, the very idea that there are others, even, is, is part of a, a fragmented belief. When really there's just one of us. I remember over and over having different encounters as I traveled around and taught the course. And occasionally someone would say, with a big smile on their face, we just need to remember there's only one of us. It was a very clear statement. There's only one of us. Call it we're all one mind, we're all one spirit, we're all one presence. There's only one of us. And so the very idea of, of an other 
an other who could be different, another who could be an outcast, another who could be a stranger. Some of you remember that uh, Billy Joel years ago did an album called The Stranger. I remember when I first listened to the title track from The Stranger, once I used to believe I was such a great romancer, then I came home to a woman that I could not recognize. When I pressed her for a reason, she refused to even answer. It was then I felt the stranger kick me right between the eyes. Oh, Billy Joel's talking about the ego in one of his songs, coming home and and his wife, his partner seems a little odd, so he presses her for a reason. Like, what's wrong with you? What's going on? She refuses to answer. It was then I felt the stranger kick me right between the eyes. It was then I felt that sense of separation, that sense of aloneness, that sense of not being connected. And when human beings seem to have that feeling of not being connected, that's the time to heal, that's the time to join, that's the time to expose. And yet, the ego doesn't tell us any of those things. It says, you've been rejected, you've been hurt, get away, get rid of this person. There's many fish in the sea. Why would I stay with a person who, who talks to me like that and treats me like that and doesn't love me anymore, when really those, he or she is just mirroring the thoughts in the mind, actually helping out by mirroring the thoughts back. But as long as there's this belief in another, then there's going to be a belief in victimization, mistreatment, you fall right down the ego's trap of feeling you were not fairly treated. What's that, Pat Benatar? Treat me right! Dun, dun, dun! You know. <laughs> You've got to... I, I, I love all these songs, you know, you just, you could, you could do it through all the songs we've heard for years. Because they, they come out as songs, but they're actually thoughts. And any song that is, have a, has a mistreatment, you know. I can't live if living is without you. You know, it's just, oh, bring out the violins. You know, all the victim songs, you know. but. In the end, you start to realize, no, I cannot have peace of mind and hold on to this victim belief. This belief that something outside of me, outside of my mind, has attacked me. That I've been wrongfully attacked by something external to myself. Jesus says, you cannot even experience anger unless you believe that something, not yourself, has done something to you. That's the basis of all anger. He does say at one point, anger is never justified, and then one paragraph later, pardon is always justified. There's a Spanish word, pardon. Pardon. Pardon is always, always justified. Every seeming situation without exception. This is reminding me of a movie, I think some of you may, this goes back a few years, but the movie was Grand Canyon. Did anyone remember seeing Grand Canyon? Danny Glover was in it, and 
anyway, there, there's all these scenes in the movie of all this um, fragility of the human condition and um, people seemingly having all kinds of wild things happen to them and and in the movie in little points of the movie all they have is a helicopter with bright lights coming through they just put these scenes of this helicopter with these bright lights in the middle of the movie all the way through without any apparent reason but I remember when I first saw that I was like that's the Holy Spirit just brought in different scenes like reminding like none of this is real and then here he starts running and it's like calm down the there's the helicopter the bright light calm down Filbert and then we know we know you're out there we want to help you <laughs> the, so the the helicopter scene is just reminding it's a flashback of Grand Canyon so that's the this is showing us the basis of of what is happening in the mind and then everything down to them seemingly controlling the serotonin levels and the the different the different things in the body you know this is where you have to follow this out all the way to the end that that it's like nothing in form causes anything different there is no big brother out there there is no controlling mechanisms governments government leaders military generals what the world calls madmen you know those are all projections of the fear to look within of the fear to face go past that deep dark fear inside and all these attempts to see even the sense of um, being controlled uh, this idea of it's bringing in the politics it's bringing in the witch hunt idea that has been <laughs> passed around recently in uh, politics and all the different things are all just to come to realize that it is the witness to you to your state of mind the outside picture of an inward condition that you must take full responsibility for your peace of mind that there is going to be no other way there is nothing outside of you that can hurt you and the corollary is there is nothing outside of you that can save you that covers a lot nothing that can hurt you and nothing outside of you that can save you because there's still going to be a false dependency if you put it on some images that's why even when we have these religious images and religious figures you know it's not we can't look for salvation in even an avatar or a guru or a a mystic in the end for now 2000 years Jesus has been called the messiah but but it wasn't the symbol it wasn't the man called Jesus that was the savior it's the presence of love that was just a symbol of the love inside the kingdom of heaven is within to find that within yourself and that's why the course comes out and says you have to realize that you are the savior of the world he's speaking to to your mind he's not speaking to the to the mask he's not speaking to the persona 
saying the prasanna is the savior of the world. That would make no sense whatsoever. But he is saying you have the power to get in touch with your divine innocence. And that is so strong. Miracles are seen in light. And light and strength are one. That's a very recent lesson we just had in the calendars of days. Well, that's recent. <laughs> I can't keep track of the days. I knew it was recent <laughs> this morning. <laughs> but that's it. This, it's who you are. It's that connection with that divine within. That's what the Savior is. It's, it's not a person, a place, an event. It's not some thing that will happen to you in form that will save you. And so he's just come to that point where he's screaming, it's real, this is real. He's like trying to be the, the hero of the dream and warn all of the, the inhabitants. But this is our saving grace right here. The world you see is what you gave it. Nothing more than that. Lesson number two. But though it is no more than that, it is not less. Therefore, to you it is important. It is the witness to your state of mind, the outside picture of an inward condition. After that speech and seek the final, let Jesus have the final word. <laughs> seek not to change the world. I mean, ultimately, too, though, it, it does, even leaving that final scene in there, you know, it, it does mean that you you have to see everything in this world as equally false. A new baby being born and a character hanging there from a billboard are both images. And they're equally false. You know, that's what I was sharing earlier. That's how radical What's that thing? How radical are you prepared to be? How far in this are you willing to go to wake up, to be able to see illusions as illusions, to see images as images? Because it's, as long as we're hanging and we're still hoping for better images, and ultimately, even something as basic as a better future. You know, that's that's something that the politicians are always talking about. A better future. Make America great again. Let's have a better future. I, I want to strive for a better life and so on and so forth. You know, that's how radical the course is when you get back to a section called the immediacy of salvation. Where He's basically telling us that that there really is no better future. You know, you should not seek for future happiness, for it is not your just reward, for you have cause for freedom now. And that's the focus of watching your mind so closely, watching your thoughts so closely, watching your emotions Zooming into your now moment, because that, that is where the escape is. 
Jesus tells us, be not content with future happiness, for it is not your just reward, for you have cause for freedom now. That's how radical these teachings are. It's saying the total escape can only come in this instant. And as long as we are still afraid and we're still looking for the answer to come, the salvation to come, the healing, the enlightenment, the whatever in the future, it still means that there's a gap between now and the future. And it's looking actually for future salvation. So that's what, you know, in the Bible it says you got to separate the wheat from the chaff. You've, that's where you have to separate all the religions and all the spiritualities of the world that still point to a sense of future hope and then come back to a place of, am I willing to face what's in my mind right now and to stay focused in the now, to put my attention, my purpose must be in the now and to not get distracted away into these future thoughts because the future thoughts are just retold past thoughts. That's why we have things like worry and concern. Worry about the global economics, worried about the climate, worried about the stock market, worried about the, the uh, the free trade between countries, worried about the nuclear armament, worried about the ozone layer. All these things are just things that were experienced in the past projected onto a future and there is never going to be escape in the future. And so the point of all this is to bring it back to see the value of the mind training, the value of that discipline the value of the spiritual journey juxtaposed with all of the pursuits of the world where the mind just is given over to let's make it better, do it better, achieve, accomplish, strive, all the striving that goes on. And this is a pathway that's saying, no, let's take a look at, at our state of mind. So this was a radical presentation tonight, including the the candidate coming back on and trying to justify it all terms in terms of persons and citizens. But this is not to be found in citizenship. Jesus did never say, "Please follow me and be good citizens, and you shall enter the kingdom of heaven." There was nothing in there about citizenship. There was nothing in there about even becoming good persons. It said God is no respecter of persons in the Bible. It's actually a good speech at the mind level. And then when she turned it on yeah. to the citizens, it's like, oh. Yeah, she lost, lost it at the end. I saw this whole movie as like, he was so angry that they were going to hurt the others, but it was his own belief in the others that they kept trying to come back and get him to see, or the Spirit kept trying to get him to see. He didn't see it in the end, but I actually think if we could end it right there at Seek Not to Change the World, where we had it, it would be a really great 
uplifting. It ended with our pictures. <laughs> Thank you for this movie. It was all for me. I had a great paranoia throughout my teenagers. Uh, and it was like I was killing myself with this and over and over and over to the point where I would try to literally kill myself and I was so paranoid that I couldn't do even that I couldn't even dis destroy this body because I was so afraid that I didn't want to do what I thought I wanted to do so I, I got even more paranoid then because I thought, okay, I can't even kill myself. What now? <laughs> and and thankfully, thankfully, it's it's over. And this movie just brought it up again, and I. I've got to experience this paranoia once more while watching this movie. And I've got to see that it makes no sense, absolutely, since there was no problem to begin with. And in the end, when I'm pursuing those crazy interpretations of mine I end up killing myself and what for what's the point and yeah it was just so ironic when I saw him uh, 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 you know there's him and then in the background is this sign and this man hanging there it's like he's advertising the very thing that he feared and screaming there like a madman. I just saw, saw me there. Uh, I, I did the same. And... I really don't want to do this anymore. It's just that sometimes this, those emotions f seem to be so heavy that I, I don't know what to do in the moment when it happens. It just, I don't even know if I'm really allowing that or what. I don't even know if I un understand now what that means to allow if I'm really allowing it if, or am I fooling myself once again <laughs> or it's, it's just another paranoia to notice yeah, it's good to uh, start taking something like this and then just kind of rehashing the thoughts in the mind like you're your seeming life, because that 
it starts to show you that that things in the world, even you coming here from Poland and and landing here in Mexico, taking the big leap and just showing up here and saying, Okay, I'm going for healing and I don't I'm I'm in your hands, Holy Spirit. I'm just totally trusting that this is a big leap, but this is I'm leaping in the right direction. And I could see too when I was watching this too, I thought back in the parable of David because I I remember as a child being very, very shy and I could go back how did I feel? It's like I remember as a child I would be like I loved the summertime because I didn't have school and I would just play. I would go off in the creek and play in the woods and play with my dog. I felt like a warm, connected feeling. But then when September came to go to school, it felt like I perceived school was like a prison. Like there were so many rules. And then there were all these new people, you know, showing up for the first day of class in September, and I remember all the butterflies in my stomach. I didn't have butterflies with my dog playing in the creek in the summer and running around in the sunshine. I felt happy and joyful and free, but when the first day of school came, I felt like there were all these others, <laughs> and they had different shapes and sizes, and some of them were classmates and teachers, and and all these new people, I didn't, you know, who's going to be in my class? I didn't, there was all this anxiety about that. And I remember going through that every summer and every September. And then, and then I thought, oh, go into, when I went into junior high and high school, I went there and I thought, oh, here we go again, except that my mother was a teacher. So I felt she knew all these other teachers, and I felt I had all these sets of eyes. Like, that was my big brother. <laughs> I had all these teachers. Like, she would meet at, during the middle of the day, it would be lunch, and all the teachers would meet in the teacher's lounge and have their talks and everything. And then sometimes I would see teachers, and they'd be smiling at me, and I'd be, be like, what what's the smile for? And you know, it was the same kind of thing as Filbert. There was a bit of suspicion, you know, because I was very shy and I was suspicious about the world and suspicious about society, suspicious about all these other students and these other teachers. And so I kind of went through that whole thing through the teenage years. And then I carried that shyness on into university where sometimes classmates would even kind of poke fun. Some would be like, wanted to pick, pick on me or bully me, and others would say, leave him alone. But I was like this, this feeling, it's this identity thing about how do I relate to the world? Who are, who are friends? Who are enemies? The idea that people could turn from a friend to an enemy or things could turn from love to hate. You know, the, the sleeping mind is in a very suspicious, guilt-ridden, paranoid uh, state of mind. That's what part of being a human is. Even the most well-adjusted, even the, the achieving humans have that 
concern. What if I fail? Or what if this is found out about me? Or that, you know, this feeling. It's, it's the dynamic of a mind that's asleep that needs to learn to accept itself as it truly is and needs to let go of everything that it believes about time and space in order to find that isness, that pristine isness, that that perfect self that God created, perfectly loving, innocent. And there's always a bit of this uncomfortable feeling that's there that has to be washed away, that has to be undone. And I remember when I got into graduate school that I was still interested in this thing about where is the control? Am I controlled by the world? Am I controlled by what people say and think? Am I controlled by politicians and, and professors? Am I controlled by economic forces that are outside of me? And so by the time I made it into graduate school and I was working on my master's thesis, the subject of my master's thesis was exploring what the psychologists called an internal versus an external locus of control. That's what it came to, locus of control. Am I the product of the world? Am I at the mercy of an external world that, has, that impinges on who I am, my culture, my upbringing, the forces of nature, the forces of the world, or do I have an internal locus of control? Is everything that I perceive and everything that I feel based on a choice that's in my mind? Is it an internal locus of control or an external? So I started to do my master's thesis on that, but then I started to get deeper into philosophy and I mentioned this guy, German philosopher Immanuel Kant, which is, um, he asked the question, how do we know what we know? I thought, wow, that's a cool question. How do we know what we know? And he was asking, do we know based on, prior to our senses, prior to coming to this world, do we know everything? Or do we learn and know things from our interactions with the world. And I was like, huh, that's important too. How, how do I know what I know? And I just was listening to uh, The Course in Miracles where Jesus was saying, with this world you know nothing. You, you know in heaven, and you know when you remember who you are, but you know nothing at all with this world. That, that this world, as, as Morpheus said in The Matrix, that the world was drawn over your mind to blind you from the truth. With the five senses, that everything of, of this world, all the images were drawn over the mind to blind it from the truth of who it really is. That's how radical and how deep this is. I do remember one time when I was going to, I went to a Buddhist retreat, it was a Buddhist speaker and was talking, sharing about emptying the mind and everything and then the, the teacher got all of us to start chanting one thing. We all chanted this thing for quite a while. 
I know nothing. And we just got into the chant, and I got more and more joyful as I kept chanting, I know nothing, over and over and over. And I was like, oh, that's fascinating. Ten years of academia, and I feel happiest when I'm chanting, I know nothing. I just had to start to observe these things. Like, hmm, could I have had it all that wrong? Could I have been that mistaken? But yeah, I, I'm glad you joined us online and now you've flown across and you're just showing up saying, here I am, Lord, I'm, I'm going to heal. I'm going to let go of, even if this movie, this episode tonight helped bring up some of those, those old past paranoia thoughts. You know. Oh boy, it did it. <laughs> yeah, I see no other way. Even when he and he punched the, his wife, it was just funny to me, you know, <laughs> because j just a few scenes back, he was running after those people, screaming at them for punching the woman, and actually the, the paranoia brought him to the same place, and yeah, I I, I see in that exactly exactly the mechanism that was running me and still is to some extent it's just anything that I judge others for I do exactly the same there's no difference so it's good to notice <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing how deep it goes, too, because I do remember a story from ancient Greece where someone came to Socrates and and came up and he, the man said, I told Socrates, I am enlightened. And Socrates said, really? You really believe in every single circumstance? that you experience in life, you know intuitively that which would benefit the whole universe in every single circumstance. And the guy just walked away. You need, we need to have that inner Socrates with us, always saying, come be humble, you know, empty yourself of thinking you know anything in this world, because that's the only gateway back to to heaven, to true knowing, to know thyself, is to know nothing of this world. To be so clean and fresh and clear that you don't bring any past assumptions to anything. And sometimes people get a glimpse of that, sometimes when they look in, sometimes to the eyes of a baby, or maybe into a rabbit's eyes, or like into the eyes of a deer. Some of the creatures of nature, you know, have this look, 
And when you look into their eyes, it's just, you feel like a joy rising up because of, of this symbol, just a symbol of, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm here now. I just don't know anything else about anything. And that is so precious, you know, to give ourselves over to just to the idea that that is possible. That it's possible to be that trusting and that unknowing of the world and to realize that that is our, that is our safety, that is our strength. You know, Jesus was the one who started bringing meekness and strength and putting them together. He's, he came along and he started saying, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the world. And then in A Course in Miracles, he says what he means by that. He even explains what he said 2,000 years ago, that, that they will literally overcome the world in their perception by their strength. By the strength of their innocence, by the strength of their humbleness, they shall overcome the world. They shall no longer be at the mercy of the images through their humbleness, through their stillness. I noticed even more things when I've seen this one. Like when he was up on the billboard walking and they said, Be still. Like the, the, the peace. All the, the peace uh, cars and trucks were there. They said them to be. I just was noticing these things. Calm down. Be still. I was. I, all these messages were clearer to me than the first time when I saw it. They were just very bright and very strong. There were just messages coming through from the spirit, and those are the same messages we receive that we can trust. It's possible to trust that deeply and feel the safety of that trust. Trust, He says, trust not your own good intentions. He tells us, if you believe that you're trusting based on your past learning, then you, know, you have good reason to be scared. You have good reason to be afraid if you're basing your trust on the past. Because there is no trust based on the world or the past. That, that's what we're taught, you know, we buy this program of being a good, productive citizen of the world. We have to work hard, we have to, we have to recognize our earning potential, we have to learn how to earn and accumulate, and then the world would tell us the more that we earn and accumulate, the safer we are. Almost like money is like our, our buffer from death. Although no one's ever earned enough money to hold off death. I've never heard of a, a resurrected rich man. <laughs> the, one, the one that's the most famous resurrected one in history was had no possessions. That's the one that came out of the cave. He didn't come out, do you know what my portfolio is? And do you know how many degrees I have? And how many buildings I own and everything. No, those weren't the things that he said when he came out. Mary Magdalene saw a resurrected mystic, but it was just a symbol of the mind. When the mind doesn't have any judgments, then it lights up, it remembers its creator, its source. It was just a symbol. Yeah. 
Welcome, bienvenidos, as they say down here. Thank you. <laughs> I just... Um, I think after everything you said, David, I... I can see that what's coming up for me is that I have this belief somewhere in the back of my mind, you know, no pain, no gain, that that's actually a valuable mantra in my mind somewhere, or that delayed gratification is something that is meaningful, but it runs completely counter to everything that Jesus says in the Course. And then when you say about, you know, you go in the world and you want to prove your worth and you accumulate money in order to feel safe, I can also see how somewhere along the way I went from happily just hauling rocks in Utah and not really thinking about any kind of objective and achieving anything to now it's like somewhere in my mind, I must show I am mind trained. I don't even know what that really means. I just know that I love God. And I think when I do any kind of function, I can see how if I'm not really, really mindful, that I will say yes to do something not out of joy, but out of a have to or must. Not out of love, but out of a have to or must. Which is really no different than trying to make a living out in the world, which I did for 50 years of my life. And I I definitely don't want that. I don't want that. And I do recognize that my memories are all memories of personhood. So yeah, it's like how you shared about summer vacations were joyful and going back to school felt awful and suspicious because it was about gaining something. It was about, for me, I had to gain the grade so that I wouldn't get punished or so I would get a reward from my parents. I would get their love. I would get acceptance as being a good child. It's all personhood. But I will say that I have had an experience that was so profound recently where somebody came into my mind and I just had no memory of him being a person. That was just love. And it wasn't because of my effort either. It just randomly dropped in my mind. That's the experience I want to have with everyone, with everything, with everything that I do. I guess I'm saying a prayer right now. Yeah, our next online retreat, the topic is uh, Divine Providence. And Divine Providence just translates into joy and into glee and into freedom and exuberant happiness. That's what Divine Providence is, and it's nothing else. It's, 
I remember Frances had the insight one time where she had this huge insight where she was looking at divine providence and thinking of like um, Saint Francis and you know some of the ones Jesus, the apostles, Saint Francis, you know different ones throughout the uh, history, and and the, her definition of divine providence was that that they were taken care of. The, their bodies had everything that they needed um, as they were following their calling. And then, remember, she looked over at me and she went, that can't be it. It's, that's, that's way too small. That's way too small to think a body is just taken care of if it follows the Spirit. She, it was like, it has to be something much bigger for the whole universe, not just a few figures throughout history. You have billions and trillions that are just plodding along and working and laboring. That's what this whole planet is about. Labor, labor, labor. Labor, 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 labor. Get sick, die. <laughs> That's, uh, in a lot of cultures, they don't have retirement. The people just carry those big pots of waters and they, they just work their fingers to the bone until they drop dead. It's just labor. Talk about... Uh, uh, physical birth going into labor, the whole, the whole time frame it seems to be a labor. And divine providence must be this happy joy where it's like a, a dance, where you see the world all in this dance. Like everyone's dancing. Everyone's in the movement, in the rhythm of this dance. That has to be what the divine providence is. I got an email Today, I think this morning, from a friend who's been part of our community and and I've worked with him for years in unwinding from job and from career and from all kinds of things. We've just had this joyful relationship, but he found himself at a crossroads again today where he wrote to me and he said, Well, I need to ask you, should I just go back to Camus? <laughs> and go back to the, the same kind of things that I'm doing, or go to Sedona and, and do this and this, but, but, I'm a, but I'm afraid if I go to Sedona, it's just, I'm just going to, it's just going to cost me $200. And I'm just going to be thinking, yeah, I wasted Two hundred dollars, and so he, write, he writes this to me. And so this morning, so I wrote back, "Go to Sedona," <laughs> because, and he wrote back that he had some tears, you know, with hearts and tears. You know, he said, "You always zoom right into the depths of of what I really want in my heart." It was just this little doubt thought of like, "Oh, I could lose two hundred dollars." You know, and I was like, "Go!" Let <laughs> that thought of wasting two hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, hold you back. You know, but you have to be. That's why I'm talking about this place of coming to that place of not knowing, of coming in that place of being a hundred percent intuitive, where you don't let those parameters from the past, those ifs and shoulds and ought tos and and looking for, sometimes just looking for the subtlest bit of, of approval, the subtlest bit of validation, 
You know, you have to be willing to just piss it all away in an instant for that gleeful, joyful, wow kind of experience. And then as you do give yourself over to that, it starts to build a, a momentum, a joyful momentum. This kind of a momentum where it's like, I really am free. I really am cared for. My mind is cared for. That's what Francis was noticing, that it wasn't, Divine Providence wasn't about a body being cared for. It was way too small to think of Divine Providence in that way. It was my mind, my soul is cared for, is loved so hugely by this, by this source, by God. And then giving yourself permission, you know. I love too, I, some of you know I like that movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? The first one, because at the end there's Fred Allen Wolf with his hair flying all over the place. And it's the last scene of the movie and he said... Don't just take my word for it. Try it out for yourself, he says, with his hair flying all over the place. I'm like, yeah, Fred. That's the kind of thing I like to hear a movie end with. Don't take my word for it. Try it for yourself. He's just given, the whole movie is quantum physics. And he's saying, try it out for yourself. Put this into application. Go for it. Just go for it. Because you only come to the experience by... The going for it. It's not, somebody can't tell you the truth. Somebody can't describe the truth to you. That's not going to help. Descriptions, we've all had descriptions and things, but when you actually like dive in and you actually go, wow, it's nothing that I ever thought it was. It's so much more spectacular, so much more magnificent than anything that I ever experienced. Jesus does say that, that, that about the, the atonement, it's, it's nothing like you've ever experienced before. It's entirely, entirely brand new. You, you're not going to come to an experience of the atonement and go, wow, that's just like back when. No, it isn't. <laughs> that's not going to be the words that come out of your mouth. Oh, it's just like, no, it's, it's like, wow, this is... Amazing, this is spectacular, this is nothing like anything else. That's how you tell the atonement, apart from all the other concepts, you know, which which aren't really vibrant. Yeah. So that's good. I'll say the same thing I said to Eric. Go for it. <laughs> Go for Sedona. Uh, I I I think it's better in Spanish because I don't practice more too much English and I I don't know a lot of words. You have a good translator. She she can translate for you. Okay. Eh, mi mi duda lo que lo que he estado teniendo problemas actualmente es saber qué tanto estoy proyectando yo. My question is really I need to know how much I'm, I am projecting. La situación que estoy viviendo y qué tanto forma parte del plan de Dios para mi salvación. 
the situation that I'm living and how much that is part of the plan that God gave me for my salvation. Me explico. Yo rompí mi última relación hace año y medio. I broke up with my um, ex, partner, ex-wife, ex-wife uh, one year and a half ago. Y me vine a vivir acá a Chapala con mis papás. And I came here to live with my parents. Eh, en principio yo me sentía mal porque 54 años viviendo con mis papás era así como que no debía ser. At first I, I, I didn't feel good because I was 54 years old living with my parents and that shouldn't be that way. Y durante todo este tiempo he pasado por varios trabajos pero no, no he conseguido ni tener éxito en los trabajos ni, ni, ni quedarme en ellos, digámoslo de esa manera. During all this time I've been having jobs but I don't find like I'm successful in one or that I can stay in one. Eh, mi situación en este momento económicamente es muy muy mala. My economical situation right now is very very bad. Eh, trato y, y aquí es mi duda. Yo sé que puedo estar provocando esto. Yo puedo estar proyectando esto por una parte. And this is my question. I feel that I can be projecting this. Pero por otra parte hay situaciones que yo siento que, que salen de mí. O sea. Trato de ponerlo en manos del Espíritu Santo, decirle que Él me, me diga hacia dónde me dirijo y, y no pasa nada. O sea, estoy como en stop en este momento, no sucede nada. Um, y no sé, que, no, sea, no sé si soy yo o es parte del plan. So I feel that I'm just like stuck, like I ask the Spirit to guide me and then I just... ¿Parte del plan? So I think that it's like part of the plan or... Or it's my projection. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's... Well, first thing to to remember is that that when we think of plan, we think of this uh, a big linear um, um, ways back to God, linear like in time. Yeah. You do you understand? Yes. You, you can follow uh, that. O sea, que todo está escrito, ¿no? Que llega, que, que so es you're un... saying that everything is written. Yes, en, en un tiempo lineal y el, el instante time. santo es el momento presente. And the holy instant is the present moment. Ese, yeah. Esa es mi duda. Si That's lo que question. está pasando es de lo que está escrito o yo lo estoy provocando. That's my question. If what's happening, it's what it's written or that I'm projecting it. Both. <laughs> But, uh, see, I can relate to you because this, in, in the parable of David, David lived under his parents' roofs for a long time, many years. And, uh, and also, David had many different jobs, many different jobs. And I used to think both of those things were a source of guilt. But now I, I don't. I see, hmm... Ah, that was all so precious. I, like, for example, living with my parents, I, I became very contemplative. Um, I, I would really become very philo- philosophical and contemplative, and I would start to ask questions like, what's the purpose of all of this? Instead of just going in some career and sweating and kicking and striving and getting fired and hired and raises and all that stuff. I, I wasn't messing around. I was just in my parents' basement okay. pondering what's the purpose of all of this, like the Greeks, the ancient Greeks. 
And then when I, with different jobs, I started to realize there was a pattern that that when I would get hired or get fired or leave or whatever, that, that there was a, there was a, something very purposeful behind that. That there was, I got this strong feeling that there was no accidents mm -hmm. at all. And it just grew stronger and stronger. And even with relationships, when when there'd be a relationship breakup, oh, boo-hoo, ah, I can't live again. Oh, I can't do it. No, that was all purposeful. I started to really see, oh, that was all purposeful too. That everything that had happened in my experience, in the parable of David, without exception, was all for a reason. And it was all for me to see the whole world in a different, a different way. For me to change my attitude. For me to change my perspective. For me to sing like the birds. Just chirp, 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 happy, like singing a happy song all day long. A song of gratitude, a song of thanks, a song of happiness. That nothing was ever out of place that nothing went wrong, you know, and, and such peace and contentment to feel that like I was always at the right place at the right time. I had Jesus say that to me in the Course. He always puts the double negatives in the, the knots. He says, you cannot but be at the right place at the right time which translated into regular English is, you're always, <laughs> this cannot but be, okay, okay, I'm always at the right place at the right time. And there's great joy in that thought, that nothing ever went wrong. There's no regrets. People have told me that, they said, if you can go through this life and have no regrets, you'll be so happy. And I really see that now. It's, regrets are just judgments. That something could have been different. But I don't really believe that anymore, that anything could have been different. I call that hypotheticals. You know, this idea that something could be different mm -hmm. than it is. I don't believe that anymore. It, it is what it is. So thank you for sharing that. That's sweet. <laughs> Brings back fond memories of living downstairs under there. David, you want any food? <laughs> like feeding me like I'm a cat. <laughs> it was sweet. Actually sweet. It's the judgment that I make because I'm the oldest of my brothers. I was the oldest too. <laughs> and all my brothers are just like, come on, work, do something. <laughs> they, they make signs, they go, ah, loco. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, what I have seen is that it's been helpful for my parents to be with him, with them. Yeah. 
So my sister was saying, yeah, this is like part of a service that you can give to our parents as part of like what they did for you. But I don't get to feel like that's good right now. Like completely good. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you're just beginning to recognize the gifts. We all have so many gifts. And when we're living with people, we have so many opportunities to share our gifts. And it's very simple too. It's it's more of a state of mind. It's a it's an attitude. It's not you know, we've Jesus is reminding us we've got this whole gift giving idea kind of all turned around because we're addicted to the form. And uh he does talk about that in the Course. He said, who, who gives a gift and then waits to see you know, what happens to the gift? A gift, that is not a gift, he says. If you give something and you wait to, with expectations to see how it's received or how it's used or whatever, he's basically saying, that's not a gift at all. It has to be a free gift to be a gift. And we have so much love in our hearts to give. And there is no limit to that love and and those simple things when you're with people living with people and you put the care and to everything that you think and say and do and you have that lightheartedness when that when you allow that to come through it's a huge gift it actually radiates beyond your mom and dad out to the whole universe you know to the entire universe mm -hmm. and peace of mind and love these are not small gifts you know they're they're huge they're huge. I had a an email. I guess Laverne forwarded me that email from it was from our movie watchers, a blog or something that set out newsletter. And there was a little note from my friend Cindy's oldest son, who just said, "Well, I'm I'm still doing the course. It's my greatest weapon." Now the course I knew him from many many years ago and just sent me a, like a little love note with his phone number that Laverne forwarded and and I haven't seen or heard much from Alvin for many many years but it just brought a big smile to my face because it just brought back all that love and he was just a young man who was kept. He was raised on A Course in Miracles from when he was he was born and my friend Cindy started to raise him on A Course in Miracles from, from birth, the teachings of the Course. And then um, as he grew older, she really focused on just lesson number one from the Course. Nothing I see means anything. So as he's going through puberty and he's wondering about all these body changes, He's going to his mom, what do you think? What's this mean? She said, nothing. Lesson one. <laughs> and he'd be like, okay, nothing I see. Puberty hair and things and feelings and hormones and facial hair. Nothing I see means anything. And then he went on, he, went, he started dating and having all these relationship problems, the teenage years and dating. And he'd come back, that's oh, driving me crazy. Lesson number one. Oh, she uses one lesson from the Course. So, and then he gets into all the struggles, late teens, and I met him when I think he was in his early 20s. And uh, he said, Dave, can I talk to you? 
And I said, yeah. And, and we sat down and talked and he said, my mom, I don't know what to think. She's just raised me all these years on this one lesson from the Course. And I don't know whether to be so grateful for her for saving my life or be as mad as hell for messing me up in the worst way possible. <laughs> and I'd say, oh Alvin, it's a gift. It's just been a gift. You'll You'll feel this. You'll one day you're going to go. Thank you, mom. <laughs> but it was radical. <laughs> Imagine being from a baby on, raised with lesson one from the course. You know, there's not a lot of analysis in there or <laughs> advice. Just it's it's more of a kind of a Ramana Maharshi upbringing of, of you know nothing. There's nothing here. But, you know, that is the wisdom. Wisdom is not judgment. Wisdom is the relinquishment of judgment. You know, wisdom is this understanding and this total love and acceptance. That's what the wisdom is. And we've had it all wrong when we associated wisdom with learning. You don't become wise by learning. You become wise by unlearning, by peeling the onion. So, and I'm sure it feels good to you just to speak up and start to talk about these things. It you feel better and and talking to people, meeting someone who like yourself, yeah. oldest one of the siblings, and then you know, not keeping a steady job, career, that was a big disappointment, too. I'm having so much fun, but I can't imagine having a career. And then the, the more you get into things and you start to feel like, oh, there was a presence with me all along through all these things. And it was just the ego judging, oh, you know, you should make something of yourself. Make something of yourself. No, the whole point is to not make something of yourself. Yeah. It's all backwards and upside down. So it's, I'm glad you came tonight just to, to share that because hopefully you'll feel... A little bit lighter, yeah. Y también pienso que me vine para acá para conocer este lugar. And I also think that I came here to know this place. Tengo muchos años estudiando el curso y, y siempre me sentí solo. Entonces encontrar esto fue así como wow. I've been studying the course for a lot of years, and just finding this was like wow. I'm not alone. Por eso estoy aquí, yo creo. That's why I'm here. Yeah, I really felt something um, in the movie watching the part about this reference to the these others, this other or something. And just noticing, watching people's reactions, and they didn't like the others, they didn't want to be the others, they who's the other? Like it's just 
this whole attitude towards this other. And there's just been like almost a feeling that a fear of like standing out and being seen or being visible or being good or bad like saying too much saying too, I don't know and then I feel like look, looking that it's almost like not wanting to be the other <laughs> like deep down there's like this other lurking and I feel like there's this let's say like moments I've missed to not Take, take a risk out of some fear there. Like, but when, but when you were talking a little later about the spirit, you know, just wants to to give in these really small ways, like these really kind of like these really tender ways, and. Like the little way, I think of the little way of, I can't remember who it was, St. Therese or something. Little flower. (laughs) It's like a part of me feels there's so much light that is starving to pour through, but there's this fear of like the other or something. And like, it's like, how do you be a little flower and that at the same time? Or I don't, there's a real conflict or something there. And I, and every time I feel I've taken those leaps and I've felt wonderful and felt the whole universe and you know but there's still it's still there. It's still there's still some something there that it's like it's like I don't know, it's like something to do with the self self concept or like like wanting to be liked or not wanting to um be seen certain way i'm not i'm not really sure I'm, I'm looking at a lot of that lately just the self-image and where i at least unconsciously want to hold on to being seen a certain way like out of i don't know i don't know like <laughs> it's like this morning in the house we were talking about conformity and just the pressure to conform when you know we don't know why we want to conform but there's a there's a pressure there it's like just stay in line stay with the group don't stand out too much you know or whatever, and so and the community is really it feels constantly encouraging us to step out. <laughs> it's the opposite, you know. So anyway, I'm not sure where I'm going with all this, but it, it feels something feels like it's really deep. Or yeah, it's well, this idea of if you start to go into the self concept, which was this, the make believe self that was made to take the place of our divine self take the place of the Christ, there's a tremendous amount of guilt. It's like a it's like just like the the separation was the first change that that was experienced, the fall from grace. And then this entire world and cosmos is a self concept, including the personality mask, that's very fragile, very weak. You'll see even people that seem to be the, the achievers of the world. They rise to positions of wealth and power and um, 
it could even be the president of a country or whatever, and there's so much insecurity and fear underneath there that even the ones who wear these masks that have been followed the world's fame and fortune and power and all the things the world says will make you feel more worthy and more stable. And then it just shows the contradiction of the whole thing. And I've talked about Marilyn Monroe and lots of different people who who seem to follow the ways of the world and 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 attain those things that are supposed to, you know, have you feel really good about yourself. You know, they call them self-esteem boosters. Some people tick all the boxes and then they're suicidal and they're deeply depressed, just showing the contradiction that this self-concept that's been made to take the place of of our true identity is very, very shaky. And that's where the, the pressure to people-please, the pressure to conform, the, the constant comparisons go on. I was thinking maybe of re-showing that episode. The first Black Mirror episode that I watched was that nosedive, um, which is such a fantastic expose on this false identity and needing likes and and needing the props of social media um, to maintain a sense of a stable sense of self. Today I actually happened upon a, a YouTube video where they had all these scientists talking about social media and about how people have become addicted to their devices and their phones, addicted to likes, and they talked about how how the identity is so tied into getting these likes that when you make a post and someone likes it, there's like this dopamine rush that comes into the the brain that is almost the equivalent of cocaine. That's how strong the rush can be when people's identities are built up on these constructs and getting likes for posts and likes for photos and they become so focused in it. But they were saying that the social media users, Facebook and whatever, they have found that if somebody's doing a lot, they can space out the likes because they want people to stay tuned in. So they don't come out in real time, they space out the likes. So you can have mm, big dopamine blast and then you wait and then another one to keep you. And, and they were describing this whole thing of social media with the same studies that they've done with addictions and, and how social media companies now are using studies based on Las Vegas and, and casinos and everything like this to retain attention um, of the users, users' attention. Well, anyway, the whole thing, I just thought, oh, wow, this is rich. Like... Because there's nothing outside. There is no external evil forces doing anything. It's just when the mind is determined to be distracted away from the present moment, ego is extremely ingenious at coming up with distractions. Even the way social media is set up with the, to periodically keep going and checking in and checking in, there's this sense of an anticipation before you check for a message, a voice message, or check your page, it starts to build and build, almost like building for a fix. And then you finally get to go and... 
There's the spike of dopamine, the chemistry. But you, I thought, oh, this is good because it's it's the anatomy of the ego. It's not real and true, but but in awareness, it keeps you from reaching your full potential of knowing who you are. And so, it is important to expose those are the, those unconscious ways where you there's a desire to fit in or conform. It's almost like when you fit in and conform to something from a past image, the ego is like, very good, good girl, that's good, kudos, get a little applause, you fit in. It's not really helping us. It doesn't help us expand and grow, it doesn't lift us higher and higher in consciousness to, to just keep getting these little fixes from a little reward, almost like stimulus response, like like getting a little reward for this, a little reward for that. That's like the ego trying to hold us down, hold us back from reaching our full potential. So I do feel like the, the best thing, like we've been doing tonight, is when you start to talk about it, you start to, to bring it out, you start to lay the cards on the table, you become more aware of it. And you start to loosen just a little bit each time you become more aware. Like, huh, I just notice myself wanting to go this way or falling back into this or maybe feeling a safety. Like somehow we get brownie points and there are these people, the gatekeepers, and you're supposed to keep feeding the gatekeepers to keep the game going. And it just doesn't joyful when there's this sense of looking outside, when the Spirit is saying, stay with me, stay tuned into your intuition, stay in your intuitive passions, and I want to extend so much through you, but I just need you to stay with me with that. And, uh, yeah, certainly we encourage it, even with our, our, um, our TV shows on Sunday, it's been a great expression. I just see so many floods of witnesses uh, that come in, like, this is great, this is wonderful, I'm loving the expressiveness, and I think for everybody who's part of it, there's, there's an expansiveness that's coming in with that. So, yeah, we want to stay open to those kind of miraculous things that would help us feeling like we're expanding. We're not just going through the motions. The ego would try to make us be content just going through the motions of the past, just repeating things over and over like Groundhog Day. Speaking of Groundhog Day, I just somebody sent me an interview um, with Charlie Rose and uh, Bill Murray. And I think it was Charlie Rose saying, you've just done so much, is there anything left? What's left for you? What's left for you? What do you want to experience? And, and Bill Murray was like, I just want to really be here. I mean, really be here. And the whole talk was uh, him talking about be here. He mentioned nothing about movies, television, nothing about anything that he's been involved with. He was just over and over. I just want to be here. He said, you know what I mean, be here, like really here. And Charlie's like, yeah, yeah. They started exploring what be here meant. And it's fun. And then I jumped over to another uh, Jim Carrey one, which was all about 
seeing that he attained all these things using the power of his mind and manifesting, but none of it was it. That he's happy being a nobody, and he's happy just for the joy of realizing, you know, none of it meant anything at all. And, you know, it was just, he was gleefully expressing, you know. And those are the kind of witnesses you could start to call forth that instead of saying, be somebody, be a good somebody, be better than other bodies, you know, it's just this sense of, no, I, I'm feeling a freedom in not having anything that I have to hold to is like a form standard. Like I've done all these things and I got all these things and, and all those things that I got didn't make me happy. So I'm here now <laughs> to use this moment to express that none of that made me happy. But there's a, there's a happiness and glee that's available that's not tied into achieving accumulating, proving, you know, all the standard kind of programming, it's not there. It's beautiful. You've taken the leap. <laughs> I find that often during these gatherings, I get very tired. And um, I've been experiencing it for a long enough time that I feel like I really just need to release it because there's a lot of guilt underneath it. And questions like, well, why can't I just be present? Or like, what is the way through? Even just praying, praying. You know, okay, well, Holy Spirit, like, can you lift this off my mind or show me what it is? And... And sometimes it lifts and it's like, like, so focused. And I find other times it's like, it just feels so heavy and like, like drugged or something. And um, yeah, like I said, there's a guilt there because it's like, oh, well, this is resistance showing up. And why don't you want to listen to David? And like, you know, the voice just comes in to, to basically hammer me and, and tell me everything I'm doing wrong. And it, it just makes it harder to lift off of my mind. So I, I just wanted to expose it, first and foremost, because I just don't like the way that I feel with it in my mind. Yes, it's a permission. I remember I mentioned Kathy earlier. She would come around to my gatherings in, in the 1990s, like the late 1990s, and they videotaped some of them, but I would be talking and you see her eyes start to close and... And then her head would just start to bobble. And just, we would have so much fun watching these old videos. And then she would just be like... <laughs> and she, her head would just drop completely back onto the chair. And her mouth would fling open. <laughs> so I'd be there talking in the microphone and everything. And she'd be like usually the next seat to me or a couple seats over. <laughs> just like this. And then um, I do remember one time I, I went and I was doing this gathering and, and this woman, and I saw her head start to bobble. I went, oh, another, another bobbler. And she was kind of bobbling, bobbling. And then finally I, I, I thought, I better take a call a break, like a bathroom break. So I called a bathroom break and 
she came up to me and she said, David, I, I just had this condition called narcolepsy. And she just started to explain everything about, you know, she said, I'm really fighting it. I'm really fighting to stay awake. And uh, I said, well, what, what are you, if you weren't fighting, what, what would you just, if you gave in, what would you do? And she said, well, I would just, my husband's next to me, I would just let my head just flop on his shoulder and I would just give myself permission to fall asleep. And I said, that's great. I said, you'll get it as much from this talk <laughs> sleeping as you would there. And she literally, with the permission, I remember got in and she bobbled a little bit and then she just kind of curled up and she she went to sleep. But there is something there about, even if we identify something as resistance, uh, or Jesus calls it, if you feel your mind slipping into, what's it called, innervation or withdrawal, he calls it, he has different things, then he says it helps to to try to come back, but, but ultimately there is something to this overall sense of permission, because if we're feeling resistance and then, and we're judging the resistance, then it starts to really get heavy. It's almost like it spirals us in the wrong direction. And I do feel like the part of of working with the Course is, of course, there's going to be all different types of resistance that will come up. But how we deal with the resistance is the key point. It's like when we try to judge it, and we try to uphold some kind of standard in some kind of a behavioral way, it can get very, very heavy. And so part of it is just giving ourselves permission uh, in some cases to just just look at hmm what what are the thoughts that I'm thinking or or to step I know at the beginning for me I had to just relax and relax and keep um, just trying to be spontaneous with what is it that I'm called to do what would be most helpful I kept saying to spirit over and over because I kept hitting those pockets of of resistance all the time at the beginning when I was working with the course it's this, there's some kind of a slight people-pleasing, there's some kind of a standard we have that we're trying to hold ourselves to some kind of a, a sta artificial standard or memory, and that's where the strain and the struggle comes in. And even in the Course it says, when, when you find resistance high and dedication weak, you are not ready. Do not fight yourself. But Jesus is so good with always coming in with that gentleness of saying, you know, you're not to try to push your way through this or force your way, especially with resistance. I think that it just it almost sends us in a counter direction when we try to to push up against it or force ourselves. And it's it's not actually that uncommon. I know on the spiritual journey, people will have a set of beliefs about how how a person should be on the spiritual journey, and even though a lot of it's unconscious, they will hold themselves to a lot of standards and judge themselves against the standards. And what I, when I would talk to Jesus about this, I'd say, what is going on when I'm doing this? Because I'm really, it's, it's really difficult. And he said, well, you're trying to still lead with the form. This is a course in mind training and we need to slowly loosen 
some of those old egoic thoughts and beliefs from your mind, and the form will just, it just flows and reflects from your thoughts. But he was saying, you're still looking to, to the body and the form to kind of causative, is causative in some way, like, I have to lead with the body. Like, if I can't get this in my mind, I've got to act like it. You know, they would say, fake it till you make it. Jesus is not big on fake it till you make it. He's not big on pretense, he's, he's big on authenticity. And just acknowledge, acknowledge where the mind is, acknowledge and, and take, be willing to question and look closely at some of those thoughts and beliefs, but don't, don't try to lead with the form. I think a lot of religions, you know, I think of convents and monasteries too, where they, they would take these vows for behavior, and then they would really have a tough time trying to live up to the standard. You know, there's a great movie, we probably could see it, called Priest, where the priest takes all these vows and then he starts to realize as the movie goes along that he has all these things that are going on in his mind and he's trying to live up to these standards of being a priest. And it's really very difficult for him. He has to kind of crack open. It's a good healing movie in that way. Thank you. Don't feel bad. I won't feel bad if you nod off. <laughs> That's part of the fear of it, though. Is like, okay, well, if I just give myself permission to drop drop into this feeling, because it doesn't actually feel bad all the time. It's mm -hmm. just like this. It almost just feels like uh, I'm being called to drop in deeply. But there's this fear of humiliation if I were to fall asleep or something, or be seen to be a bad community member. I feel those things underneath there. Yeah. Maybe some of the many things that are underneath there, but I can feel all of that. Or even if just there's this subtle pull of like, oh, I didn't get that thing done before I came in, so my mind's not clear. I just, yeah. Sometimes I get stuck of like, well, where am I supposed to be, actually? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very fine-tuning and discernment, and it takes, it takes a lot of practice, and you just have to stay willing with it. But oftentimes, if I want it now... I want this mind training to be over. I want to be top, top, tip-top and sharp and everything. And it's it generally, it, it just has to go through its time and process and cycle. And it's all about learning to not take things personally. I mean, I was shy for so much of my life when I finally started to go on the road and Jesus said, I want to speak through you. I started, I mean, I okay, this is embarrassing, but... And then I let him do that, and then when he started to partner me up with singer-songwriters, I remember I got partnered up back in the early 1990s with a friend, a singer-songwriter and everything, and we would go and do these gatherings, and she would sing and I would speak. But I was just being used by Jesus to tell, it was a lot of parables were coming through me. And then after a few weeks on the road, she came up to me and she said, if I have to listen one more night to those damn parables that I've heard over and over and over, so boring and so repetitive and everything. And here I am just beginning to open up and let the parables come through me. Public speaking, for me, is like when you've been shy your whole life, you know, for me, I'm thinking, and then I just prayed and Jesus is like, don't take it personally. You know, I'm like, 
please change the parables up or what? Do something, you know, say, I'm dying here. But, you know, you, but just that's the part of the thing. It's the ego's going to be hit and take embarrassment with things. Even if you're just opening up to something that's a huge thing, it, the ego will come in like to put it down. And I would just, I would just say, I'm not even choosing these words. Believe me, I'm just showing up. This is a big deal for me just to show up and let the spirit choose the words. Because once you would say, can you change these parables up? And say, you know, I'd say, no, I'm not the one choosing them. I, I don't have them in mind when I'm showing. You know, I don't know what's going to come out. I'm not even paying attention. I'm not even noticing that they're repeating. <laughs> you know, I've tried to... <laughs> Jeez, by the you are clueless and damn boring. And I, you know, I'm, but... That's the stuff you have to do, go through, you know, that's part of the healing. That's why you have these relationships, to learn not to take anything personally. Miracles are involuntary, you know. I mean, now I really know that, but back then I was like, oh, gosh, this is, you know, you never know what you're going to get hit with, but you just have to be ready. Okay, anything else? Anybody else have yeah, sure, there's no limit. <laughs> I think I've said it today, but I will say it one again. Uh, it's amazing how everyone here is speaking exactly what I would like to speak, but for most of the time I'm not aware, aware that I want to speak about it. And just... When when Kristen, uh, I, I just laughed inside because I felt a, a lot of lot of heaviness for the last minutes before she started speaking, and I had exactly the same thoughts. Like, oh, I would just like to drop dead here, and and, <laughs> <laughs> and well, I shouldn't probably, and and. And so that's that's helpful that I don't even have to tell, say it myself. Others will do this for me. <laughs> and now I'm not so sleepy anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> and when when I started sharing about living with parents, well, that's exactly my situation. That's exactly my thoughts. Uh, me and my sister living there, and sh she was just weeping on my shoulder a few months ago. That she feels so guilty about that, and I said to her that you're you're this you're a gift for your parent for our parents, and it's. It's as much uh, teaching situation for them as it is for us. So it's not that we are bad for living with them and taking money from them, not giving it back. Because if if we are really above the laws of reciprocity, and well. You can never pay them back if that's true. 
no, no. No matter what you say, there will always be something you can hold on to and say it's it's something I must to pay for, and there will be always something you will be gu- feeling guilty about. So it's just a mad wheel that will you can't escape unless you unless you just accept that you're you're not in debt to your parents and your parents. And my parents are not in debt to you. We are never in debt to anyone. And I was, of course, talking to myself, not really to her. I mean, she was just there so that I could hear it because I feel the same, the same guilt. And thank you for sharing about that. Yeah, I think it's all three of you too, and. Underneath, Susan was saying, "There's something down there that wants to conform, but I don't know what it is." And then Kristen was sharing about what she's feeling, and then you were sharing that. But there, this reciprocity thing is so so deep; it it goes all the way down to the root. You know, almost like our our identity in this world is so shaky. Like you better you better give enough in order to to earn your way. It's so deeply ingrained. And um, when you were speaking too, I I was remembering, I just recently read an article about, um, it was about a man in uh, Beijing. And this man was saying he feels so lonely and he so much wants a relationship and yet as I read the article, it was that there's so there's so many men in Beijing, they were saying, and, and first they were saying there's not enough women, but then he went much deeper. He went, it got really socioeconomic, where he was like saying, the reason I don't have a girlfriend is because of what I do for a living. I'm a hairdresser. And hairdressers over there, they don't get wages, they just get commissions in Beijing for doing hair. So he's working on commissions. And the money that comes in from being a hairdresser, he can't afford to have an apartment. And therefore, he can't go out on a date, because it always gets to the point with every woman that he goes out with, where they say, can we go back to your place? And he's like, every single time. It's like, so I've got, I, I'm doing the hairdressing, I don't make enough money, I can't afford an apartment. And he said, there's a lot of us that can't. So there's a lot of guys that basically, the ladies won't go back with them, won't get in a relationship with them. Because they say, let's go back to your place, and there's no place to go back to. They don't have the place. And so it was, just, it was like all based on this lack even the the reciprocity in the relationship, you know, like I have to earn more money to have that relationship. And I can't earn the money doing what I'm doing. And this is my job, this is my the way I make my living. So you can see that it's all set up. It's an entire world that's set up on reciprocity. And and the worth is tied into the both the giving and the receiving, and the, the equation has to be kept with a certain balance. Whether it's living at your parents' house, or in his case, doing his hairdressing every day and walk. He just showed him, it, 
some photos of him like walking home alone, all this lonely walk every night, wishing he had a girlfriend, but I can't have a girlfriend because of these conditions. And you know, it's almost like that's the way the whole world is. There's, it's like never enough. And there's this never enough belief that's underneath there, which is tied into reciprocity, that you have to earn your way through this life. And, and more than just earn your way, you want to be, get better and better so that you have more and more and more to offer as the world judges it, then you can get a better return. You have more money invested, you get a bigger return. You have more to offer as a person, you get a better partner. You, you know, it's so deeply ingrained. And then it gets the same on the spiritual journey. Like Marie was saying, she has all this love, I love God in my heart, I mean, but there's subtly, you know, it's like, how are you measuring up? It's like then, it's like the mind training becomes a thing. The ego is going to use the mind training. Like, okay, how are you showing your mind training? Are you demonstrating the mind training? Yeah, it's almost like a point system, like... Yeah, you get points for that and kudos for that, and then, and, and it's very much on the same scale. It's and it's very, it's a lot of pressure to keep up with that. Just like out in the world of more keeping up economically and trying to get ahead, it, it, the ego will use the spiritual journey and say, "Okay, you're going to be a spiritual devotee. Okay, let's see how I can make you guilty with that. I'll try to drag you down every day with." something with that as well, with all kinds of comparisons and so forth. So it does take a lot of faith and trust to really start to drop drop into that. And the way I experienced in my life, because it was the same thing, was I, I thought, what, have I, what am I dropping into here? What do I need to drop into? And it was inspiration. Like, I need to really be inspired. I cannot keep rehashing these things from the past over and over, because it never comes out good. I'm always judging, no matter how it comes out. But if I learn to drop into that place of inspiration, where there's really no expectations, it's just what's there, it's what's given in the moment, it's obvious, then I can relax into that and trust that all will be handled. And that's huge, because this whole world is based on striving, based on overcoming lack. And this is a way of living in inspiration, where that inspiration of the moment grows stronger and stronger, and then that, you're not motivated out of lack anymore. You, you simply start to realize that being, you never can be truly motivated from fear. And that's what I had to face. I started to realize that a lot of the things I was pursuing and thinking about all day was based on fear of consequences. I could lose something here. I could be cast out or rejected or something bad can happen if I don't keep maintaining something. But it was pressure to maintain that. So then I started to just, what's my inspiration? And get into the joy of giving. I mean, we talk about social media and all the different things. Different parts of my life, I just got so into the abundance of giving that I would just get so into the joy of giving in the day that I would lose track of the passage of time. It, you know, I could 
even when social media, I could post hundreds of things, probably thousands of things, lose track of the hours and everything, uh, just be out of the joy and the glee of it. It was like it's coming through me in an involuntary way. And then I would find myself like, oh my gosh, what, what time is it? I, I would just completely lose track of time. But that, it was coming from a different motivation. It was coming from, a, how can I give? How can I bless? How can I extend? And that's not a motive that we grew up with. You know, those weren't, no, our parents were not saying, oh, just don't worry about grades or education. Job, don't worry about job. Just shine your light. Just be happy. You know, if we'd have heard that stuff, we would be like, pinch me. What, what realm am I in? Mom, is that you? What happened to you? Who took you over? You know, it, we would be shocked. But that's actually this, what the Spirit is communicating to us, not based on all these past expectations that are so heavy that seem to be the reality of things. They aren't. They really aren't. I would, this character in the parable of David was very shy. I never saw myself traveling around the world and meeting thousands of people and doing, I mean, doing any of it. We sometimes just sit around where we'll say, you believe it? We're in Mexico and we're sitting here and sometimes we just laugh because none of us would have thought that in a million years, actually, that the scenario would even, could even come to look like it looks. And, and we just say, yeah, that's just another testimony, too, about how we aren't in charge of trying to control the plan or control the way back. The Spirit is, thank heavens. And the Spirit's just giving it to us one moment at a time, too. No five-year plans with the Spirit, or two-month plans, or two-day plans even, you know. Just can't think like that anymore. You're in for some fun, though. I think you're in. You're actually going to have some fun, yeah. <laughs> when I go here yesterday, uh, in, the, in the midnight, and I was just sitting with Peter in the kitchen, and I just started. I was laughing. Just I don't. I didn't know why. I just. I was just laughing. <laughs> like I. Like something in me just knew. Oh, you don't know what's <laughs> what's waiting for you around the corner. <laughs> you have fun. Yeah, we felt that when we did that online retreat, whenever that was, some weeks ago, and you you had done something that most people don't do. You had written out your revelatory experiences, and then you said, could I read it? And I thought, wow, this is cool. I've never had anybody come on an online retreat and read their revelatory experiences. And then when you did, then it touched everybody's heart. Because like you were saying how Kristen spoke your thoughts, you were speaking beautiful thoughts that are beyond the common everyday thoughts. They were very, yeah. very high. And then just by your willingness to do that, to sit there and read them. And it wasn't like two seconds either. You really <laughs> gave us a full blast <laughs> of those revelatory experiences and didn't hold anything back. Then everyone was like, hmm. 
Then I did talk to Michael and La Quinta. There, oh, we feel her. We think she's she's supposed to come here. She should be here. <laughs> we want people like that. They're having those thoughts, living with us, because <laughs> it's there's a vibe there with it. You know, you want everybody wants to expand and go into that and give themselves permission. So that was actually a witness for a number of people of like, wow, that's amazing. She could share those thoughts. And it just helps everybody feel a little more like they can go into those without feeling embarrassed or with you know, whatever the typical ego restrictions are. You were just demonstrating, no, you don't have to be limited. Yeah. Also, I I remember that reading it, then I was I really wanted to see uh, how you would receive it, all, all of you, because part of me was still afraid of this. I mean. Part of me was ecstatic, part of me was afraid, like, oh, oh my, it goes beyond everything. It goes beyond morality, ethics, you know. Not every day I realize that my mother is the same as a table, right? And and I am the same as a table, and nothing here means anything. And not just to experience it, it was, it was huge. And part of me felt, oh, how can you, how can you feel that, say that? Um, it's even, it's too big even on David's community. You shouldn't share that. He, yeah, it, I, but it's just, and I wanted to go for it. Just, okay, I will say that and let's see what happens then. And I think it's my philosophy now. Okay, let's say that, let's do that, and, and let's see what happens. And then, whatever happens, let's see what happens. And even if it's not the way I imagine, and it's never the way I imagine. I'm fine. Beautiful. That uh, that's you have the fear of maybe burdening us with your thoughts, and actually it turned. It was the opposite. It was like it was a gateway, and that happens a lot. I my friend Sevi, who a lot of you know, who's here for quite a while. She came all the way over from Greece. She landed. I kind of took her around on the way here. She brought me a CD with Greek music, so we were in the car driving from the airport and Greek music playing and everything, and then. I took her around a few places and she said, I had a lot of fear, fear coming up when I was coming here and then I watched a lot of things, but I'm just, she said, I was just thinking, what if, David, what if you're the devil? She came right out with me at the beginning after I just met her. And I thought, oh, that's good. And she then after a while she said, that's just so freeing. <laughs> to wonder if I was the devil and then just she did come here and faced a lot of things but by the time she left she just went back over to Greece she just was just oozing and pouring out all this gratitude and thank you this changed my life my whole life and you know it was but 
that's part of it is part of the, having the safety and the trust to just share whatever and including like you did where you wrote down these very intimate thoughts very very intimate and then were able to share them you know read them um, to a group of a hundred people or so online and everything and then the blessing comes from that because it's when we try to hold and hide things and keep things in is where that's what holds us back and when we expose and and share and we have experiences that we're loved actually after the exposure then that turns the whole table on the ego because the ego is always like don't even go there you are going to get be abandoned rejected and unloved if you do that and then you have a reverse experience where you actually pour it out and you feel more loved that's the beginning of of true authentic healing you know and and for all of us we're all pleasantly surprised when we can be have that candor and that openness and then feel a beautiful loving reflection coming back to us after we're we speak from our heart you know that's that's really undoing the ego it's going the exact opposite of what it tells you will happen and and having the faith to do that and then have the full experience of of that. It's very beautiful. I just wanted to mention that um, with these movies, oftentimes we're looking for something new, but when we can't quite find something, we resort to our classics and they're always really great. It's always great to pull out a classic and Carolina, you might remember, is the Matrix girl, right? We know her because on the online retreat she's got this Matrix happening behind her. Mm-hmm. Well, she's never seen the Matrix so I've <laughs> been calling the Matrix girl. Everyone's saying Matrix girl. I haven't seen the Matrix. Oh. <laughs> so I'll just put that there. Yeah, and then maybe nice. the Matrix Redux yeah. or something might be some fun at some point. Yeah, that would be great. Fantastic. Beautiful. Okay. Well, we thank you for coming. It's been a beautiful, beautiful evening. Yeah. And thanks to Jason for the editing, bringing in a few uh, quotes for us, too. We did preview this over at Frank's house. We did a focus group. <laughs> Let's see how it would go, but yeah. And let us know if you, like Michael was just saying, the Matrix, Matrix Redux, if you have some. Movies that come to mind. Priest is very good. I went into a movie theater in Cincinnati to watch Priest, and I thought, "Wow, this is is a intense mind watcher." And then somebody had left the theater and was just pacing back and forth. I think it brought up so much stuff from that movie that he was just walking. He was just pacing back out. In the in the lobby, of the theater. So I just kind of saw him went out and just kind of prayed, just sending him some love because I could tell he was really stirred up. But it, all the contradictions of trying to follow Jesus and having all this other stuff come up that doesn't seem to be in line. And I think at one point the priest actually just is 
kind of down, kneeling down in front of Jesus and starts screaming at the at Jesus, like, how can you do this? How can you set this unreachable standard? You know, and uh, so yeah, that is a good one. I'll keep that one in mind. That's a mind watcher, for sure. Very healing. Okay. Thank you.